0: If we think about a characteristic of America, we would say that America is known as a place of freedom and liberty. Even right now, we're enjoying some of the religious freedom that we're guaranteed in this country. And when we go back to its origin, as penned by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, read and then signed on July 4th in 1776, he stated, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think we can, without much debate, Recognized that while the intentions were good, not everyone enjoyed what he said were certain unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, at the time of the Civil War, had an emancipation proclamation that was declared where he said that on the first day of January... In the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then henceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority, thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons. Another great intention, and yet the reality is we are still fighting over equality. We're still fighting over civil liberties and what's enjoyed or not enjoyed by individuals within our society. I hope you're very appreciative of the fact that you live in a land that was built upon the premise of personal freedom and liberty. But I hope you also can recognize that one of the misperceptions that any individual might have is that physical, personal liberty might be something that deceives us concerning our real condition. And many individuals who enjoy the fullness of the liberties that we have within this culture at the same time are still in servitude and slavery. For the benefit of us all, Jesus made that very clear in a discourse that he had with Jewish people recorded for us in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, John provides us in this gospel record an account and actually his sixth discourse that is included in this gospel record that we can know that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing we can have life in his name. And what we find is that there is an increased hostility that is happening within the nation against Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here in this section, some of it comes to a head. And as Christ presented himself in John 8 as the light of the world, you'll see that in verse 12, we find that there are a number of Jews, both in the leadership position, as well as many who had come to Jerusalem for the feast of tabernacles as is recorded for us in verse 30. And he, uh, and as he spoke these things, many became to believe in him. And so starting in verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to whom? Those Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my word... Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They, that is those Jews who had believed in him, answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now what we found in our previous study is the fact that John records for us that a number of Jewish individuals put their faith in Christ in a spurious way, typically for temporal benefits that they were seeking for themselves. You have the record of the multitude that followed him all over after the feeding of the 5,000. And he said to them, you are believing in me not because you have spiritual desires, but because you ate the bread and were fed. Hunger for the bread that uh, exists for eternal life rather than for the bread that perishes. And what we find recorded for us in John chapter 6 is as Christ spoke to him, them about himself being the bread of heaven, is that many of his disciples... That is, individuals who had this spurious faith in him walked with him no more. And so in the same way, we find individuals, because of the gracious way in which he spoke, because of the emotional response that individuals had to him, recognizing that never did anyone speak like this before, responded and thought of him as the promised Messiah, but when he did not meet their preconceived ideas as to what the Messiah would be like, they walked with him no more. So in this context, Jesus speaking to them first establishes the characteristics of a genuine disciple. When he says, if you remain or abide in my word, you shall be truly my disciples. He is not saying, if you continue in his word, this is how you become one of his disciples. Instead, he is saying, out of the vast majority of individuals who say, they follow me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Or to put it in our vernacular here to say, I am a Christian, I am trusting Christ. How do we know that it's genuine? The reality is those who remain, those who abide, those who continue in God's word manifest the fact that they are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. And the benefit that comes from that reality for them is that they will know the truth. The idea of experientially acknowledging, understanding, and being transformed by the absolute, the truth of God. And that truth will do what? Will set you free. But those individuals who heard what he said responded by saying, we live in a society that's characterized by liberty and freedom. How can you say we'll be a, we're a slave to anyone? So like the Jews of old, so in our culture, if somebody is an American, until very recently it was assumed they were also a what? Christian. And we have mistakenly thought because I live in a land with such great religious freedom because I have somehow responded to the messages that are given about trusting Christ that makes me one of God's people. And Christ clarifies for them when they challenge him. Very obviously in this challenge these individuals out of the group that are responding to Christ are demonstrating they are not a genuine disciple of his. How are they manifesting that? Instead of embracing, continuing, remaining in the word of Christ, they are challenging the word of Christ. And so we have a number of churches today which discredit the Bible. We have a number of churches today, where leadership within the church will have the idea that somehow this book is archaic. It's no longer valid, that it contains mistakes. Now, first and foremost, it would be all the red letters in certain English translations that try to say the things that were spoken of by Jesus have more significance than what the rest of the Bible says. The reality is all Scripture is God-breathed. And so it is not just the words that Christ taught and recorded for us in the Gospels, but obviously in this immediate context it would be. It's all of the Scripture. And so the question we asked last time was, what place, what importance does the Word of God have for you? Because if you are one of those that would be called a genuine student a genuine learner, the meaning of the term disciple of Jesus Christ. You are an individual that continues in God's word, not something just found in the New Testament. We can go to the first Psalm. How blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But this individual that's declared righteous is an individual, says Psalm 1, who meditates day and night in the law of the Lord. That the word of God is the delight of that individual's heart. And the consequences are transforming characteristics within the individual's being. Instead of being blown about to and fro, a tree firmly planted. Instead of being an individual that doesn't evidence anything within its, his or her life, bears fruit in its own season. And so the reality is remaining in God's word. And the thought could be, because I'm religious, because I profess faith in Christ... Because I say I'm a Christian, because I'm moral, because I'm ethical, because I live in America, whatever it is. I can be deceived just as readily as was true of these Jewish individuals. And so Jesus answered them, verse 34, truly, truly. And we find Christ often utilized this term, this phrase, truly, truly, literally in the Greek, it's amen, amen, translated as truly, truly, because you need to remember the word amen is not the period you put on at the end of a prayer. The word amen means so be it. This is how it is. You can count on it. It's firm. It's sure. It's the kind of prayer that I'm praying that I know Jesus would pray because he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you, amen, right? So he says, truly, truly, amen, amen. And the significance is pay attention. Listen carefully as I'm telling you something of significant importance. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. We uh, wrestle with something like this. Because especially if we're one of God's people, we're more cognizant of the fact that there's things in our life that aren't the way they ought to be yet. The term that is translated "commits sin is a present tense verb which actually would have everyone who is continuing to commit sin. In other words, a characteristic lifestyle of the individual, this individual, he says, is a slave of sin. And so it's not looking at the fact that all of us stumble at different times. But instead, Jesus is saying there are characteristic patterns of life. And for the righteous individual, there is a characteristic pattern of life that is distinct and different from the unrighteous individual. And what we find is, for example, if I go back to Psalm 1, there is a way of the wicked... And there is a way of the righteous. There is a path, a lifestyle of the wicked. There is a path and there is a lifestyle of the righteous. And you and I sadly far too often think of, well, those individuals who are doing certain deeds within our culture that are so detestable. How could somebody you know, perform, do such a hurtful, horrific thing to another individual? Well, it's not just looking at those expressions because Jesus is speaking to people that are very religious. He's speaking to people who were very conscientious about doing what God said in the Mosaic law they should do. God had said three times a year all of the men of Israel need to go to Jerusalem to worship. And there were a group on this occasion, one of those three times that were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. They were outwardly conforming to what God had said they should do. So Christ is not speaking to the individuals that you and I would think of As the dregs of society and culture, the ones that when we put people on a performance scale in our own minds, that's sinful, this is good, and not recognizing even our righteous acts are an abomination to the Lord. They're filthy rags, they're unacceptable to Him. And so I can be moral, I can be religious, I can still be a slave to sin. Because the very bottom line of what it means to be sinful in my thinking and in my action is wanting to promote myself. Where did sin begin? What is the origin of evil? It was in Satan, Lucifer. And God said of him, you were perfect in all of your ways until iniquity was found in your heart. And what took place in the heart of Lucifer, who you and I now know of as Satan? What happened was, is he became proud. He became impressed with his abilities, with his appearance, and pride is the fountain out of which all else flows, And I can be religiously proud just as much as irreligiously proud. I can be living for and seeking to promote myself in any sphere of life and wanting the praise and acclamations of men rather than what comes from God. The one who is committing sin has a lifestyle of sin is a slave to sin. And so he says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. Now, if I put it into this context, the idea is the religious leaders in Judaism who could say in their own experience, we've never been a slave to anyone because of the autonomy that they enjoyed even under Roman rule, or these individuals who had the freedom to leave their little villages and travel to Jerusalem. They could say, we've never been a slave to anyone. What does he say? The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. Individuals can enjoy the benefits of the culture, the society in which they are found, but it doesn't mean that they have a right relationship with God or an interchange has taken place. And he says, the slave, those who had the positions of authority, enjoyed some of the bounty and the blessings of what God had given to the nation of Israel because of the covenant promises he had made to them are not going to remain forever. Who remains forever? The son, the individual who is really the heir of the house, the individual who is really... The owner of the house is the one that remains forever. And because of that, he says, Therefore, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, when we read through this section, what we find is these individuals that were now opposing Christ who had given some semblance of trust in him, he tells them very clearly that if God really was your father, you would love me. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, you want to do. I need to understand there's only two categories of people in the world. I am either a child of God or I'm a child of the devil. I either have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or I am still controlled by, dominated by Satan himself and sin. There's no other alternative. And the point is, if you are dominated by, if you are controlled by sin, if you are a slave to sin, you cannot liberate yourself. Isn't that right? That's why he says, therefore, if the son will set you free, you need the work of God to take place in your life. You need the reality of transforming grace to do something within you. Otherwise, regardless of how religious you might be, regardless of what personal freedoms you might enjoy, you are still a slave of sin and the slave does not remain in the house forever. It is only those that are set free by the Son. Even if in the physical material world, they know difficulty and servitude who have real freedom, true freedom, liberation from the domination of sin and Satan. And brother and sister in Christ, that in essence is what it means to be a Christian. If in your mind all it means to be a Christian is to have this position before God whereby he declares you are righteous, you have been justified in Jesus Christ, you do not understand what it really means to be a Christian. Notice Jesus Christ did not say here, if the Son will set you free, you will be justified. Jesus Christ said, if the son will set you free, you'll have real freedom. You will be delivered from the dominating, controlling power of Satan and sin. And what I need to understand is regardless of what I might profess, I am either a child of God having been liberated by Jesus Christ or I am still a child of Satan and the desires of my father I want to do. Now, this is not unique to what Jesus says here. The reality is that those who are God's children are ones who have a genuine love for Jesus Christ and seek to please and delight their heavenly father. Notice how Paul describes this over in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6 where Paul is describing for the fact that God's people have been liberated from the dominating power of sin and as he said in verse 15 shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace since we don't have an external rule that tells us this is what we need to do shall we continue in sin because we don't have the external code to follow Well, notice what he says in verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you were what? Slaves of sin. He's not talking about something in your position. He is talking about what takes place in your experience. You are dominated by, you are controlled by, you are a slave of sin. But thanks be to God. That though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been what? What does he say? Freed from sin. Not in the sense that it's still not something that's a burden at times to me and something I will stumble over periodically. But it is no longer the dominating, ruling, controlling influence in my life. Having been freed from sin, you became something different. What did you become? Slaves of righteousness. Now, I'm speaking in human terms. He says, I'm trying to make it as simple as I can to you. I want to give you a picture of something you'll understand. And what does he say in verse 19? Because of the weakness of your foot, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, what should you do? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free regarding righteousness. But now what benefit are you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, the resulting in sanctification. And what's the outcome? Eternal life. Salvation is of the Lord. And God is the one that justifies and everyone that God justifies, he also does a work within and sets them free from the dominating, controlling power of sin and liberates them as servants of righteousness. And you know why that's so? because of a verse that we so often don't understand because we've used it in the Romans Road as if it's part of a gospel presentation. Notice what he says in verse 23. Why is it that every child of God will be a servant of righteousness? Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. So what is it he's saying? If the sun has set you free you have genuine freedom god has changed your orientation in life God has changed the basic constitution of your being. If you are a child of God based on the new covenant of what God has done, he's the one that says, I'll take out of you that heart of stone and I'll put within you a heart of flesh. I'll write my law upon your heart and you will be my people and I will be your God. The reality of the new covenant is God has liberated us that we can walk with him in righteousness to the praise of his glory. There's one sense in which we can say real freedom is not free to just do whatever you want, but then I have to say, but yes, real freedom is to be able to do what you really want because what God's people want to do is honor the Lord and please and delight him. And God has set you free that even though the vessel is still tarnished, I can please and delight him and bring forth fruit to the glory of his name. Paul said it the same way when he wrote to the Galatians, in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The point is the people of God do not need an external rule to keep them in line because God has done the inner work within them and what they desire and yearn and delight in is pleasing their heavenly father and bringing glory to his name. Real freedom is the liberation that Christ gives. And that freedom in Jesus Christ is the evident working of God according to what he promised in the new covenant to bring individuals to himself that they might walk with him, enjoy him, and glorify him forevermore. We live in a culture that is characterized by liberty and freedom. And the reality is the majority of the people in our culture, regardless of how much of those liberties and freedoms they might enjoy, still know nothing of real freedom. And even in the American church, even within Bible believing, churches. There are still many individuals who are bound in their sin, even though they've given a public declaration of faith in Christ. What's really needed is the work of Christ to set one free. And those that he liberates those that he frees from the dominating, ruling, controlling power of sin are the individuals who enjoy real freedom and find the delight in being able to walk with God, to enjoy him, and to bring glory to his name. Charles Wesley said it as follows. And that hymn, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Jesus Christ, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean, His blood avails. For me. Do you know his freedom? Have you been liberated by Jesus Christ? Then you are one of those who knows what it is to be free indeed, to have true freedom in Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth. I pray that you would do a mighty work of blessing in each one who hears these things to either stir them to seek your face and the mercy that only you can give or to further confirm in their hearts that in Jesus Christ, I have true liberty and freedom that nothing else in this world can ever give. To the praise and the glory of Christ Jesus, the Lord, we pray. Amen. When we come to the Lord's table, just to flow from what we've looked at, it's first to remind everyone that is here, this is not the table of believers' fellowship. It is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one that bids us to come. And what we remember is first for us to be set free by Jesus Christ. It was the sacrifice of his person, wasn't it? This bread represents my body, which was broken for you. But then it's also the confirmation. This cup is the new covenant. I pledge it, I guarantee it in my blood. And when we do this in remembrance of him, we are remembering the fact that that in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ is there true liberty and freedom. I'd like you to reflect on a statement that was made actually by Christ's enemies as we remember him this morning when he was upon the cross. And as he was upon the cross, they mocked him and ridiculed him and said of him, he saved others. Himself, he could not save. You're here today if you are a child of God, if you have been liberated in Jesus Christ because he did not save himself, but instead gave himself as the ransom for many. They were wrong in saying he saved others, himself he could not save because he made it very clear when some of his disciples sought to defend him that the scripture needed to be fulfilled. And if he so desired, he could call upon legions of angels to come to his defense. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and the military individuals thought they were in charge, guess who was down on their faces before Jesus Christ? And only when he let them stand up Could they bind him and take him away? He saved others because he would not save himself. And if you have been liberated in Jesus Christ, it's because through his precious blood and all sufficient sacrifice, he has accomplished for you what you could not accomplish for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a wonderful Savior who knew no sin but became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we thank you, Father, that while sin dominated, controlled, and had its uh, control over us in Jesus Christ, you have set us free as your children to walk with you and please you, not only now, but forevermore. And we give all praise and honor and glory to our wonderful Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.